And we're back in Ephesians chapter 5. We're still in the same verses we were in last time. Actually, our focus is going to be on verse 21. However, uh, we need all of it to understand that. So uh, we commence again, uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting at verse 15. Uh, We worked our way all the way up to here. 5 verse 15, this is God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you probably know, I've got a few things that I've, I've tried to do uh, consistently over the years uh, with my teaching ministry, uh, this end of it here, and any other place that uh, somebody puts me. Um, and I've tried to maintain some things. And uh, one of the things I've tried to maintain is to make sure that it's worth your while to show up. I want you to be able to know, go, well, if we do show up to this thing, it's going to be worth it. So I really want that to be uh, a, a, a solid um, that means that there are no throwaway messages, no little warm-up things, or no little uh, silly reviews or whatever. Uh, I also have a strict no-dud-sub policy, as most of you know, so that I'm not a- ashamed to say I won't be here next week, or I will be, but I- I'm not ashamed to say that because I want you to know that I'm going to stick something here that's going to be worth your while, and I know it's a delicate matter and all that stuff, but uh, it's, I don't care. I just really care about this little music stand and this flock and uh, I want you to know that uh, you, can, you can show up and, and feel like it's, uh, like it's going to be solid. No unnecessary repeats of messages, and I want you to know that it's going to be worth your while. The other thing that I tell you all the time, and, and the reason I'm saying all that is this, that I want to be able to move through the passage as briskly as the text will allow. I want to step on the gas and move through it as quickly as it will allow us to, to do it, and I don't want to hang up or bog down... Um, uh, for a super long time. Well, so uh, I say that because this is our forty. Where is it? Uh, this is our forty-third message in the book of Ephesians, and uh, you know, forty-three is a lot. That's a long time to spend in a, a book with six chapters. You know, but this is a this is a one volume from an eight-volume set by Martin Lloyd Jones. You heard Dr. Young talk about him. He's uh, he is he was an awesome, awesome father in the faith, Martin Lloyd Jones. But he's got an eight-volume set. 200, over 200 sermons in an eight-volume set. This is number six. And uh, so this, is a, this guy has a just really, really, really dug in. And what's so interesting, the reason I'm showing this to you is this. Um, when he gets to verse 21 uh, of Ephesians 5, uh, basically he, he starts in verse 15 and moves through 21. He's got five chapters on that. He's got about 80 pages written on just these, this little chunk of verses. That's a lot of pages. But what's so interesting is this. He entitles his chapters these. The Stimulus of the Spirit. That's Spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit. The Stimulus of the Spirit. Next chapter. The Power of the Spirit. Next. The Control of the Spirit. Next. Submission in the Spirit. 
next, the spirit of Christ. So you, you kind of get the idea that that's really important to what's happening here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who is doing things and governing. And that's why the instruction in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit cannot just be chopped up and, um, and, um, and uh, relegated to uh, you know, pub crawls and uh, uh, Dean Martin. Uh, but uh, it, it has so much more to do with the entire Christian life. You know, it's got, um, in verse 15, our walking. Um, uh, verse 16, our wisdom. Uh, continuing, it talks about our living. That would be our use of time and finding out what the Lord's will is. Um, the text goes on to talk about giving and thanking and praying and submitting and revering. And all those things, ladies and gentlemen, have to do with um, the Holy Spirit of God. Our lives are in utter reliance upon the Holy Spirit. We walk in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, and we are to submit to the Holy Spirit in all things. So that's where we get our main idea here today. I do want you to forget. uh, Come on. There we go. Submission is sanity. I think that's the main idea here. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the context in which we have to move forward. So let's look at our first point, which is, oh, dead gum. Oh, my battery. Hold on. Our first point is the beauty and glory of submission. Uh, now, I pointed out many times since we started this study that this is a Trinitarian gospel, right? Um, if you don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, then you're not a Christian. That's not an option to to not believe in the Trinity. You are not a Christian if you don't believe in the Trinity because you don't believe the Christian gospel. It is a Trinitarian gospel. Um, If you go back to chapter one, verse uh, chapter one, look at chapter one, verse three. Um, Paul is writing this at the beginning of the letter. Uh, you know, he's got his sign on. He says, hey, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. That means I've got the authority. I'm a messenger. I'm carrying the word of God by the will of God. I'm writing to the saints, Christians who are in Ephesus. Um, and in verse three, he says, blessed be the God and Father, that's the first person of the Trinity, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second person of the Trinity, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now that is an allusion to the work of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual blessings are afforded us, are, are administrated, uh, are, are dispensed by the Holy Spirit of God. And in case you go, well, that doesn't specifically say the Holy Spirit, well, then just move on uh, to the end of the chapter in verse 18. Um, uh, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, that you may know the hope to which you've been called and so on. Um, uh, oh, where is that? Um, oh, yeah, in verse 13, the promised Holy Spirit sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Um, And then in our passage here today, we're to be filled with the Spirit. And so you see that there's this Trinitarian flow throughout the whole book. I mean, in chapter 4 and following, you just see all these references to the Father's work, the Son's work, the Holy Spirit's work. It's a Trinitarian gospel. Uh, We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, it says, We're to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, we're supposed to submit to the Holy Spirit too. So you see that Trinitarian gospel. Now, um, I got a question for you. Who sent the Holy Spirit? I've asked this in here before, and you've answered. Who sent the Holy Spirit? Well, um, let, me send you to, let me send you to the Gospel of John. Turn to, turn to John 14, if you will. I'm going to go to two other places while you get there. Um, 
Yeah. So you turn to John. I'm going to go to two spots here. Yes. All right. So uh, while you're there, I'm going to read 1 John 4 to you. I'm, I'm in the, uh, the first epistle of John. Um, it says this. Um, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So what does 1 John 4 teach? Who, who, who sends the spirit? According to 1 John, God the Father. Uh, this is from Luke uh, 11. I'm already there. You don't, don't turn, but it says, uh, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what does this teach us? This Father sends the Holy Spirit. All right, but here we are all together now in the Gospel of John. Let me jump there real quick. Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let's look at verse 16. Um, I will ask the Father, Jesus is speaking, and he, the Father, will give you another helper with a capital H to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. That's who that helper is, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows, uh, sees him or knows him, uh, and so on. Uh, look at verse 26 of that same chapter. But the helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit, so there's no confusion, the helper is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. All right, but now flip ahead to chapter 15, verse 26. Just a chapter later. Jesus says now, but when the helper comes, with a capital H, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now who is it saying? sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Father. Uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 7. Uh, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now it's just Jesus who's doing the sending. So what the Bible teaches is the Father sends the Holy Spirit and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to reside in the hearts of all Christians. Now, the, the reason uh, I say that is that um, one, of the, one of the questions that is frequently asked is, who do we, to whom do we pray? Uh, uh, Jesus says, he instructs us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. We're supposed to call God the Father, Father. So um, can we pray to Jesus? Yes, he's the Son of God. You hear me do it all the time. Can we pray to the Holy Spirit? You think so? Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, we can pray to the Holy Spirit. However, it is best to pray um, as a norm to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Spirit. It is best to pray that, uh, but we can pray to any person in the Trinity because we have one God. And uh, that's one of the things that the, the book, The Shack, uh, uh, just did so horribly, which is, which is mess with the doctrine of the Trinity and the and the beauty of the Trinity and the harmony within the Trinity and the hierarchy and the sense of submission, the principles in the Trinity, um, the, 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 the movement within the Trinity, the shack just, 
is a horrible, horrible book just for that one reason. In my, it's, it's enough of a reason just to not even read it uh, and get sucked into a sad story and get all manipulated by some kind of allegory. So um, there's, a, there's an expression, a theological term called the, an economy within the Trinity. Have you ever heard that before? There's an economy within the Trinity, an economy of movement, an economy of offices. And what that means is that if you carefully survey the Bible, if you just go through the whole Bible and you just say, let's see what God the Father seems to be doing throughout the Scriptures, okay? God the Father seems to be doing the decreeing and the ordering, the ordaining, the sending, the planning, uh, salvation is needed, and the Father has a plan. Uh, that's, what, that's what the Father seems to be doing in, in his economy of movement within the Trinity. And then if you scour the Scriptures, Jesus Christ, and also prophetic uh, writings that point toward Jesus Christ, offices that point toward his office, fulfilled in him, uh, Jesus seems to be doing the executing of the plan. He's, he's doing the stuff that's required to, to bring about this salvation. Uh, the Father doesn't die on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus is the one who executes the plan. So that's his economy of movement. And then the Holy Spirit, if you scour the Holy Spirit, I mean from hovering over the waters to, uh, to the prophets to, to everything. The Holy Spirit seems to be the one who is illuminating truth, breathing life, summoning comforting, counseling, helping, thus being called the helper with a capital H. That seems to be the economy of movement within the Trinity, okay? Now, all that stuff is important because there's a clear um, hierarchy of offices. There are offices within the Trinity, and the, the persons of the Trinity tend to operate in certain ways if you, if you carefully study the Scriptures, where all three of them are fully God, all three of them share all the attributes and all the essence, they are all fully God. One is not superior to the other person, and yet there's an order of operation. There's an order of office within the Trinity. Um, and, and that means that the Trinity is not some new scenario that came along with the gospel. It's not like uh, all of a sudden the Trinity was invented. The Trinity always has been because God is immutable, unchanging, and he is eternal, and so God has always been this way. Now, I, I say all that because I, I want to apply it to your life this way. To joyfully submit in love, ladies and gentlemen, is beautiful. Um, God shows us himself in his word, and it's a cause for worship. It's, it's a reason to bring him glory. He reveals what he's like, and we're supposed to see his operation. We're supposed to see this harmony within this relationship within the Godhead. That's another word for the Trinity. This harmony within the Godhead, and we're supposed to see it and be in awe of it and find it to be beautiful, worshipful, and uh, God has thus plans for our lives. Um. Any notion of submission in our culture to our ears sounds harsh. We don't like it. We, 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 we uh, live in a culture that basically says, you know what, Just I don't care what you do, you just stay out of my business. Right or wrong, moral, not moral, uh, people just go, I don't even care what you just stay, don't tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. That's called autonomy. That's what our culture wants is autonomy. That's why any idea of submission is uh, uncomfortable to our ears. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what's the opposite 
of submitting oneself. I would suggest that the opposite of submitting oneself is asserting oneself. And um, that would be taking control rather than relinquishing control. Asserting oneself, a, a reliance on self rather than dependence upon provision. Instead of, um, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Instead of that, it's, you're going to hear me roar, you know. It's asserting oneself. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that song, but um, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, what God wants uh, is our reliance upon the Holy Spirit of God and our submission to the Holy Spirit. And it says here in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. To not be in that state, ladies and gentlemen, is unwise walking, not wise, verse 15. To not yield to the Holy Spirit, to not, to not be willing to submit, but rather a desire to assert in all things is uh, not making the best use of time, uh, it is actually foolish, not uh, full of understanding, as it says here. Uh, it is uh, mentally and spiritually unstable, not spirit-controlled. Spirit-controlled, not, not controlled by some other, by some other uh, uh, overcoming uh, uh, addictive force. Now, I mentioned last week that submitting to one another is a lot like how soldiers submit in, in the military, right? So, uh, soldiers submit to one another because they're submitting to the sergeant and the general and the president and the country, the greater cause. So in a sense, soldiers submit to one another too, all right? But there's a difference. As Christians, we're called to submit to God, of course, to yield to the operating um, sway of the, the personal Holy Spirit, but we're to submit to one another too, uh, but we're supposed to do that in love and gratitude, not because some sergeant is screaming in our face. You know, in the military, they have to break you and force you, but uh, we're compelled by Christ's love. There's a beauty and a glory uh, to this thing called biblical submission, which brings us nicely to our next point, which is this. Mm. You are not your own. Look at verse 21 again. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. Now, you, you probably know, uh, in fact, some of you are looking at your Bibles going, ew, I'm confused about verse 21. Um, some of you, verse 21 is a continued sentence uh, attached to verse 20. Some of you, 21 is connected to the next section. And some of you may even have verse 21 standing out there by itself because people don't know what to do with it. Well, guess what? Um, where, you know, where it says wives and husbands right here, that's a publisher's note. That's not inspired scripture. There's a break there uh, because the publishers have put it there. Um, and yet, um, Bible translators are trying to divide it and, and, and compartmentalize the thoughts and present it uh, correctly. So there's, there's a long, I can give you plenty of materials if you'd like to read it, a long bunch of scholarly stuff that you can read as to whether it belongs to the former section or the, or the, the second section. And I'm gonna submit to you that... Uh, most of the time, when people take verse 21 and they hook it to verse 22 and following, it's usually, it's usually less an issue of scholarship than it is just lazy sermon preparation. <laughs> uh, and it's because uh, pastors are afraid of their 
wives and their congregation, and they're, they're afraid of saying something that's challenging. That's usually why it defaults that way. Uh, and I really, I think it's been, been botched. Um, the, the default is usually this. The default is usually this, the idea of mutual submission. Have you heard that before? You've probably heard that preached before. Mutual, guys, it's a mutual submission, and that's a sermon that we're going to put on the sign out front uh, for today with the plastic letters. And, um, and mutual submission is a biblical reality. We are to submit to one another mutually. Um, uh, it's, in, it's in keeping with what's been taught here. Um, in, in a sense, we are to always yield to one another, but it becomes a problem when it turns into a principle that commandeers human relationships. So yes, we're to submit to one another mutually, but when it commandeers God-ordered relationships, then it becomes something that's not biblical. Now, on the one hand, we are instructed, look at chapter 4, verse 2. We're instructed to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you see that, that that principle applies there, right? We're supposed to be doing that. We are supposed to be mutually submitting to one another. That's true in that sense. And flip ahead one page, if you would, maybe two pages, to Philippians. Flip ahead two pages of Philippians, chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that's mutual submission, isn't it? Certainly. Certainly the Bible teaches this. Well, now go four pages to the left, to the book of uh, Galatians. Look at Galatians 6. Galatians 6, verse 2. Um, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now keep your finger there because in our passage here, uh, it says this, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a one another. You see it? We have a one another in 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 our verse today. In that Galatians 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the same one another. You got two one another, it's the same one another. Now let me ask you this. When it says in Galatians 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, what does that mean? Oh, uh, I'll tell you what. Okay, uh, let me take your suitcase and then uh, you take my suitcase and you give your suitcase to her and then you give your suitcase to him and you give your suitcase. Let's just all trade suitcases. And in that way, we bear one another's burdens. Isn't this lovely? It's mutual submission. That's ridiculous. We bear someone's burdens when somebody has a heavy burden, and we can help them with their burden. You know, somebody's got the ability, and somebody's got need, and that need is met. That's what bearing one another's burdens mean, not just shuffling around the suitcases. And so the point is, When you see in Ephesians submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that doesn't just automatically mean let's just all, you know, just whatever it means to submit to one another, you know, let's just kind of keep the mojo going. This is everybody be happy. That's not just, that's not what it means. Everybody just be happy and be nice. And it doesn't mean we, we just vote on everything and we just move together and we just, mm, this kind of this nebulous state. It's not some ridiculous shell game. 
Uh, the text will go on in verse 22 and following it, and we'll talk about critical human relationships. In fact, human relationships that are a little bit shocking to us, like slaves and masters. Well, that's not in our culture. In fact, it's a horrible, scary, icky part of our, of our uh, national history. But you've got wives and husbands and children and father's relationship with kids and, and workers and so on, and all these human relationships are going to file into place, and the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that we're supposed to exemplify Christ's um, relationship to us in all these other relationships. But um, anytime you see the word submit, there's also an idea of authority and office. You don't, you don't submit when, when there's no office. You understand? So, um, yeah, but, and by the way, you know, it says this too. Um, <laughs> yeah, when it talks about children, uh, fathers and children, children obey your parents and so on. Um, anybody who thinks that children are, uh, you know, they submit to you, but at some point you submit to your children. Any parent that thinks you submit to your children is raising an ax murderer. Um, so there's always an idea of authority. There's an, always an idea of office, even in the Trinity. And I'm telling you, it's beautiful and glorious, and you are not your own. So, uh, the very nature of submission has authority built into it, and so this is not teaching us just to be pals and to take frequent votes all the time. Um, what it is teaching, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are not our own. Hey, I've got an illustration for you. Um, you know, Landon did a, uh, the, you know, he does these things called Theological Biscuit. You know about those? It's a thing in senior high, a Theological Biscuit. It's great. It's great. It's like an hour and 20 minutes, and high school students gather around 50 or 60 or 70 of them. And they listen to something deep and they have a chicken biscuit and they're taking notes. And I mean, it's just awesome. It's just rich, awesome stuff. But he did a thing uh, Saturday, yesterday on homosexuality. And that's been something that's uh, obviously uh, very much in our culture and uh, something our staff has talked about a lot. And, and uh, one of the things that I've, I've said that always shocks people is um, within my ministry lifetime, uh, unless the Lord takes me out in the next 20 years or so, within my ministry lifetime, a day will come when pastors look out at a church congregation just like this, and 50% of the room will have been in a same-sex relationship at some point in their lives. You don't believe me? You mark my words. Just mark one more generation. It's your kids. It's your kids. One more generation of uh, being, being indoctrinated uh, via pop culture, and uh, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. And so one of the things we talk about as uh, staffers is how difficult it's going to be, how, cha- how the challenges are going to be different. There are going to be different pressures. It's going to be different to minister. But you know what won't change? The gospel won't change. And what won't change about that is this, that when somebody comes to Jesus Christ, it is nothing more or less than a yielding of the whole life the whole human experience. The person says, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I come to the cross with only my sin, and I take my whole life, I deposit it at the foot of the throne, and I say, forgive me. My whole life, everything about my humanity, my thoughts, my motives, my time, my resources, my very sexuality, all that is laid out before you, and God, I don't know how you're gonna work it all out, but all of it belongs to you. You know, ladies and gentlemen, grace is free. Salvation is free. And all it costs is everything about you. 
All right, let's move to our last point. Jesus is awful. Uh, Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's that word reverence, and uh, some of you may have awe. It is perfectly uh, right to say that Jesus is awful because Jesus is God, and God is awful. He is full of awe. He uh, strikes awe in people. Whenever there's an encounter in the Scriptures with uh, divinity, what happens? They fall to their knees. They tuck their heads. They, they say, woe is me. They, I am undone. Uh, they're, they're affected by God's divinity. Um, and so, yeah, reverence, that's certainly the idea, but uh, it misses something probably in our, in our modern customary understanding of it. Uh, we in Christ are not to have a, a craven fear, um, a cowering fear, uh, a terrorized fear, a fear of judgment. No, our, our, uh, our, our sin debt has been paid for on the cross. Christ took it. If you want to know what uh, judgment looks like, look at the, the, the bloodied cross. Uh, the gospel has taken care of that. But the idea is that we are sub- to submit in our human relationships the, it, 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 toward the offices that God has installed because we fear the Lord Jesus. We fear uh, God. The reason we do this is that we revere Christ, we cherish Christ, we tremble joyfully in our service to him. He is the Savior who has consummate ruling authority. You know, you don't have to turn, but let me just jump real quick here to the Gospel of Mark. You know, at the Transfiguration, um, yeah, Peter, James, and John, uh, they, they, they see Jesus, and um, Jesus is joined by Elijah and, and, uh, and Moses, and, and uh, he's, he's transfigured. He's, he's uh, glorified for a, a time, and they see him, and, and a voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And I think we tend to read that, and, and when we hear the Heavenly Father's voice, and, and it's kind of like, this is my beloved son. You should give him a listen. I mean, he's here on earth. He's the son of God. Seems like a pretty good idea to listen to him. You know, that's, you know what it's saying? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He has the authority. He is God. He is my son. Listen to him. That's the takeaway that we're supposed to have when we see an instruction about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not just, mm, Jesus just is just, a, mm, he's so wonderful and sweet and uh, out of reverence. No, no, no. Listen to him. Christ says, submit to one another out of reverence for me uh, through the pen of the Holy Spirit. The whole scene speaks to Christ's authority. So, in closing, um, Submission is sanity. Our yielding our lives to God, but our yielding, the yielding of our lives to God's will in all human relationships. That is also sanity. Not easy, but it's sanity, spiritual sanity. I'll tell you what else it is. It's a joy. It's not easy, but it's a joy because it's operating within God's uh, plans. Now, my closing illustration is this. My great-grandfather made a couple of pieces of furniture that we have in our house. 
And uh, in fact, one of them is that background. It's that's the top of a, a, a wooden radio, a big piece of furniture kind of radio that my great grandfather made. And it's got inlaid wood on it. And so does the other thing. And I, I just look at that and I'm like, man, that was before power tools. And, uh, you know, electricity and stuff and precision and laser stuff. And, and uh, so here you got this guy working quietly with hand tools in his wood shop. And, and to make these inlaid wood pieces, I just find fascinating because it's got to be trimmed and the rough places have to be taken down and it's got to go and slide right into the spot perfectly. And what I'm saying to you is that that's what God is doing in your life and mine. As he sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus Christ, he's, he's introducing things that are challenging to our hearts, like submitting. I don't want to submit. I want to assert. I want to take control. I want to have the wheel in all things. I want autonomy. But God is filing off the rough places so that our lives will fit into his perfect plan, and they'll go That's what God is doing in your life, and that's why I can say on the authority of the Scriptures, submission is sanity. Father, um, none of us would have uh, conjured up lovely enough thoughts uh, about this conceptual God who is personal and cares about his creation and is not just far off but is near and Uh, none of us would have sought you out. We were at enmity with you, says your word, but you have loved us with an everlasting love. We love because we've first been loved, and um, you've seen fit to save sinners. You have a plan of salvation, and uh, we in Christ have received your plan. Uh, We've received the Savior. And so our prayer is, because of his work, because of the Holy Spirit's uh, deposit in our lives and work and sway, We pray that you would sand down the rough places and show us what is your good and pleasing and perfect will. Might we yield to you because we tremble with joy uh, in the presence of our beautiful Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thanks, y'all.